how of hospitality. Uh, that, that we're going to go back, and what I want to do is actually want to look at an overly familiar story in order to help us teach and be instructed. On Wednesdays, we unite on wisdom, teaching that instructs for us to walk in wisdom in an area that is ratherly unfamiliar, that of hospitality. And so in order to help us grasp how this overfamiliar story teaches us about the unfamiliar concept of hospitality, allow me to give it a new title. A new name, because how many know that the titles and the chapter headings in Scripture, they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those are just interpretational. So let me just give you uh, some of my interpretational observations from the, from the outgo. So I'm going to alter it a little. This is the story of the hospitable enemy. This is the story of the welcoming stranger. This is the story of the generous outcast. How about a couple more? This is the story of the loving liberal. One more. This is the story of the merciful minority. But I want you now to look with me into the unchanging, spirit-inspired, and completely true story found in Luke 10, 25-37. And here's what I want to show you what to do. Um, it's not an honor the word of God. Would you stand with me as we read this aloud together and as we tune our hearts to hear from the word by the Spirit this morning? So let's read this together. Luke 10, 25 through 37 reads this. This is the word of God for us this morning. It says, And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Good answer, this lawyer went to Sunday school. Jesus thought it was a good answer too, because he said in verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, who, was, who stripped and beat him and departed him, leaving, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you and I, when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Would you pray with me? So, Father in heaven, I pray. I plead in faith with you that you um, would capture our attention now. Lord, that if we came into this morning just feeling burdened, feeling overwhelmed, it's the end of the quad, feeling distracted, feeling dismayed, feeling discouraged. Holy Spirit, would you awaken our hearts to see Jesus with fresh eyes of faith? Would you help us to see ourselves in this story? And would you further instruct us and equip us to walk in wisdom, to really incarnate the heart of the Father in showing 
hospitality, in living hospitable lives, welcoming one another as we have been welcomed in Christ to the glory of God. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So in this familiar story, we find one of the richest stories on how to love a stranger or how to show hospitality. Hospitality is a common thread throughout all the scriptures again. And even when the specific word for hospitality isn't present, the concept or the application of that principle is there. And that's this story. So let's explore it a bit together. First, I love that we can see hospitality is coming from, from the standpoint of confrontation. Look at this, 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 this uh, confrontation between law, uh, lawyer and Jesus. The lawyer stands up, seeking to put Jesus to the test about Jesus' orthodoxy or his right-believing or theology. Jesus flips the script and in turn tests the lawyer on his orthopraxy, his right living. Even though this lawyer approaches Jesus with a hidden agenda, which, by the way, isn't hidden for Jesus, and anytime you see people trying to test Jesus, it just doesn't go well for them, okay? Um, but Jesus know, knows, knows this. He knows what the hidden agenda is, but yet I love how Jesus still welcomes him, and yet he confronts his question with the question that exposes the true motive of his heart. You see, this lawyer's inconsistent living was actually a reflection of, of his incorrect view of God. Notice his question. That in the parables here, there, and, and in this one in particular, there's always some hidden depths. And one clue to them is in the lawyer's original question. He asked not about a way of life, but about a way to life. He said, what should I, I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 25. And the distinction is all important. Yet the lawyer got it one thing uh, right at, at any rate. Eternal life is something to be inherited. It's, and, and to receive an inheritance, you have to be an heir. No amount of doing will make you into one. Keeping the law is a way of life. It's not a way to life. It is only when, by God's grace, we have become the right sort of people, his people, by new birth, that we begin to do, some of the, that we begin to do the right sort of things. And while the lawyer knew the right answer, he was not living rightly. He was still estranged from God, even though he was standing right before him. And you see, hospitality is not about having the correct answer, but about incarnating the life of Christ. And we can't do that on our own. We need an encounter with the living God. Some of you this morning are in that place. You need an encounter with the living God. You need to come home to Jesus. But I want to explore the story here, the story of the hospitable enemy. In verse 29, it says, but he, after he answers and gives, and he recites Deuteronomy 6.4 and the Shema, well known in the Jewish language, he, did it, he hit it perfectly. He nailed it. But, Je but, but yet he wanted to justify himself. He takes it further, and he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now the motive of the lawyer's heart is exposed. He's seeking justification for how he's already living. He's looking for a loophole. For Jesus to somehow approve his current lifestyle. This lawyer was essentially attempting to define his own terms and limits of love. Nope. Not today. Not with Jesus. Not with the God who is love. But yet I love how Jesus in common fashion answers his question by telling him a story. And a story about a priest, a Levite, and a... Jesus, Jesus is up to something here. 
Jesus isn't just telling some arbitrary story. He's not just kind of making this up on the spot. You see, what's happening here is Jesus is likely using an ancient storytelling framework that this lawyer would have been well familiar with. You see, in that day, Jews often told stories about a priest, a Levite, and an ordinary Israelite. That the priest and the Levite would be the bad guys and that they would fail and then the common Jew would swoop in and would be the hero. Jesus used this same formula, but he throws a curveball. There's a twist. His parable began with the priest and with the Levite passing by a man who'd been beaten by robbers and then left for dead. The audience, in this case the lawyer, was all set for the contemporary equivalent of Joe the plumber, just the normal average guy, person, to be the hero. But instead, Jesus shocked audience by making the hero a Samaritan. Let's take a deeper look at that for a few moments. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers, stripped and beat him, and, and, and were departed, then leaving him half dead. A man on a journey, Jerusalem to Jericho. We don't know who this man was. Likely this man was a Jew. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, this would have been a familiar uh, journey to this lawyer. So what happened in the story would have come to no surprise. That Jerusalem was roughly about 18 and a half miles northeast of Jerusalem. So going down to Jericho from Jerusalem meant that there was a significant decrease of elevation. And with that, with that change of elevation resulted in some significant environmental changes. And lots of different places for people to hide out and, sing, and, and single out passersby and people that are journeying and then engage them, rob them, beat them, do whatever you want, and then just leave them there. Because that, 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 that closer to Jericho, from the mountains of the, of the region of Jerusalem to the plains of Jericho, there were lots of attacks that occurred. And one, one ancient historian, it actually calls this the ascent of the red, or descent, depending which way you're, what direction you're going. Not only because of the red rocks found along the way, but also because of the bloodshed from the frequent attacks that occurred. And so, this lawyer is following, he's tracking with Jesus. And Jesus continues the story. Now he says, by chance, who's a priest, was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise of Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by another side. At this point, the lawyer's like, oh, okay, I, I, know where, I know where Jesus is going with this. Uh, and he's, he's tracking, he's, he's connecting the dots. So now we have two people of similar status. They approach the situation, they respond in the same way. They both see and pass by. They both are aware, but yet avoid the stranger. Why? These two would have known well the, the Mosaic as being a priest and a Levite would know well the Mosaic law, which clearly commands to welcome in and love those in need. After all, this is a story about how to love your neighbor. Yet these two passed by their neighbor. Here's a question I want us to consider this morning. What do you see when you look at a stranger? Specifically a stranger in need. Not do you see Maybe a stranger who's in danger. <laughs> Not a stranger in danger. Maybe you feel fear. But what do you see? Honestly, when you see someone who's different, when you see someone who's estranged, when you see someone who's separate, when you see someone who's outcast, what do you see? What you see will often be a reflection of how you view God. But now the story's all set up. The priest, the Levite, they fail, Right? The hero is about to enter in. And we read in verse 33, but, here's the contrast, here's the punchline, now entering the story is not a common Jewish person, like the lawyer had expected, but, uh, say it. Samaritan. 
a Samaritan, right? An enemy, an outcast, a stranger. This would have dropped the jaw of the lawyer in disbelief. And I know we're here at Northwestern. You probably maybe know uh, the history of Samaritans and why Jews had no dealings with Samaritans and why they were so hated by the Jewish people. Um, but basically, the little two cents worth of, of history of, of Israel, that when the ten tribes were carried away into captivity into Assyria, the king of Assyria sent people within that region, foreigners, back into the area of Samaria, just north of Judea, um, and to do inhabit in the areas that still were occupied by a few other, the last, the other, the other tribes. And so the foreigners then intermarried with the Israelite population and that were still in around Samaria. And because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with the foreigners, they had also adopted their idolatrous religion. And so because the Samaritans, um, uh, they were considered half-breeds. They were universally despised by the Jews. Additionally, it was the Samaritans that strongly opposed the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And in fact, they built their own temple. They only received the first five books of Moses. They rejected the writings of the prophets and all the Jewish traditions. In other words, Samaritans epitomized the concept of traitors, enemies. They were different in every way, ethnically, culturally, theologically. But here's where we get practical. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Here is where hospitality is seen in action. And it says, as he, the Samaritan, was journeying, as he journeyed. So today, for you and I, right here, right now, Right where you are today, we can see in the remainder of the story three brief principles of how we can walk in wisdom and apply a lifestyle of hospitality. They're going to come up on screen as we go through them. First one's this be intentional. Be intentional. I told you I was going to bring these words back. It says this But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him. The Samaritan, as he came to where the stranger was, says, saw him, felt compassion, and went to him. In other words, he took decisive action. He took the initiative. In other words, he did exactly what Jesus does and has done when he welcomes us. He sees us, he has compassion, and he goes to us. He initiates. And I want to ask you, I want to ask us, who do you see around you today as you go about your day? Who is around you? Who is around you that you would label as stranger? Hospitality is intentional because it involves purposeful, prayerful action. And here's the thing. There's a difference between having good intentions and being intentional. Having good intentions means that you had had the thought about doing something, but it remained undone. Intentionality involves concrete and tangible action. And remember this. The smallest actions will always outweigh your biggest intentions. Just take a small step of obedience. It's amazing what God will do. There's also a difference between feeling bad and having compassion. Some translations say that the Samaritan had pity. It's better to use the English word compassion because this is a strong word that means to experience a great affection in your inner being for someone else. It's a passion that moves you to come alongside of them. And compassion isn't compassion unless it moves you into action. So compassion then is key in showing hospitality, which ultimately is incarnating the very heart of God to someone. So the sets, so first to be uh, someone who's hospitable, to practice hospitality, you have to be intentional. Secondly, two, number two is to embrace discomfort. Embrace discomfort. 
It says in verse 34 that when he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So for the Samaritan, for the enemy, for the stranger, for the outcast, for the minority, it gets messy. His journey is disrupted. His agenda has been arrested. The course of his journey is changed. Hospitality as an expression of neighborly love will require sacrifice. The binding of wounds, the cleaning and the bandaging, the giving up of one's resources, time, energy, effort, resources, all are spent. All are given. And here is another depiction of hospitality. In that we see the word in the first eight words, hospital. And so sometimes hospitality means to provide healing, protection, and restoration. But I don't know about you, sometimes like hospitals, that hospitality can be, and in fact will be, uncomfortable. And you see for us, hospitality is not only uncomfortable to give, but it's also uncomfortable to receive. We see in this story, and here's the beautiful double irony in here, we see two people estranged from one another, the one who seems to be most unlikely to give hospitality, uh, giving it to somebody who, who was the most unlikely to receive it. So they, they, they are estranged from one another, but yet they're exchanging the giving and the receiving of hospitality. And let's face it, strangers are strange, right? There are people who look, think, act, eat, talk, and live differently than we do. But being uncomfortable is part and parcel of being a Christian. In fact, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit, I say it often, is called the Comforter, because if we're being led by Him, if we're filled with the Spirit, we will be led into uncomfortable situations. And yet, in, in those moments, we have access to a divine comfort instead of a fleshly one. And I have found in my own life that situations that arise that are uncomfortable and that are inconvenient often are indicators of a Holy Spirit moment. I remember one time of being uncomfortable of receiving hospitality when I felt I was in the position to give it. I was a, on a mission trip to Tabasco, Mexico. It's not just a sauce, it's a real place. And in the southern part of the country, most southern part of the country, along the Gulf Coast. And we were visiting, in partnership with the church there, um, this, this island um, that it was just in from the Gulf along a river of this community of, of people that had really been, had been cast out. And it was just a small community of about 10 to 15 families. And we crossed this little boat that I thought was going to sink. And we got there, and we had all the stuff planned. We totally had an agenda. We had all the stuff we were going to do, all the stuff to give, all the stuff to... And this was all in and through the local church, so that who was ministering there. So we were just feeding it and participating in what was already happening. And when we got there, they, they had went out that day and caught fresh tilapia from the river and along and made this enormous feast... And set the table for us, and then in that in that area of Mexico and the culture, and I know it's not everywhere is like this because it's, it's there's a lot of diversity of culture within every nation, but but particularly within Mexico, is that we would sit and eat while they watched us eat. And I remember sitting there like, and first of all, you know, it was a fish, you know, and it wasn't like the nice little flight. It was the fish. It was still staring at you, you know. Like I I was uncomfortable, but yet they sat there and they watched you eat. And I thought, well, can't you eat with us? Well, no, no, no. In that, in, in, for them, in that culture, that, it was, that was the way that they were showing hospitality. They were welcoming us in. And, and, and I like it, but that was, we had such a beautiful, rich time of fellowship and ministry during that day. But it, I was confronted first with my own agenda. And I said, you know what? In order to, to give hospitality, I 
I need to know how to receive it. And so I remember, I could t- wish I could tell you other times in my life where I, this amazing story where I was like this Samaritan and I stayed, you know, with, uh, uh, with a person uh, and I went journeying alongside of them and all this stuff. You know what, I remember the time that I was on my way to church on a Sunday morning and I had stopped one of my priorities to get a caribou coffee and that there was a person in need who was estranged, who was abandoned and was left. And uh, she had walked, this, this woman had walked and she's trying to find a shelter and I had this decision to make. Am I going to be late for church? Or am I going to stay here with this woman? I wish I could tell you I stayed all the way through. I, I tried to help. I called some people. I offered a ride. and some, uh, She called a, a cab or taxi. I think I paid for it. I did, some, I did something. But let me tell you what. I stopped short. I stopped so short. I can tell you about other times where people are holding the sign on the side of the road and on my way to the grocery store and just feeling provoked of like, I'm going to get groceries and I wonder if this person needs something. And some of the times I've, I've passed by more times than I've stopped, but let me tell you, every time I've stopped, I've, there's been a, a blessed surprise and sometimes some really interesting trips to the grocery store and some amazing conversations that have ensued afterwards. But here's the thing, we live in a culture that coddles and even idolizes our comfort. Yet we serve a God who not only comforts the afflicted, but he afflicts the comfortable. Hospitality calls us not to shy away, but to embrace. Not to withdraw or avoid, but to lean in to the discomfort, trusting the comforted work in and through us. And the third priority to walk in wisdom is a lifestyle, and a lifestyle of hospitality is this, invest relationally. Invest relationally. This is so often where I have stopped short. It says, in the next day, he took out two denarii, or two days' wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay when you come back. You guys have a good day. We'll miss you. You're going to miss out the last part of the message. I love you. I know you got to go, but I want to encourage you, if you're needing to go, stay. All right? Last, you need to, you need to, you need to get this. We need to hear this. I need to hear this. The Samaritan, notice the bookends of this verse. It says, in the next day and when I come back. The Samaritan shows a commitment not as a one-off random act of kindness, but he sticks around long enough for a relationship to be established. Sometimes when you stick with something long enough or to the end of something, there's a blessing there that so often we forfeit. The Samaritan also involves others. He involves the innkeeper, which shows that hospitality is a communal act. It's not just an individual one. It's something that we participate with one another. And here's the thing. I want you to catch the flow. Stick with me in this logic here. Hospitality is a call for all. It means every Christian, every follower of Christ. But yet hospitality is a means, not an end. It's a means toward a deeper purpose of relationship, of discipleship. If hospitality is a means by which we express true neighborly love, and if love is the motive by which we engage in the hard and messy work of discipleship, then hospitality has an integral role in our life mission as Christians to fulfill the Great Commission. And you see, hospitality has the receiving in, the serving, and then the sending out towards gospel expansion. And now we get to the end of the story. We get to the end of this parable. Back to the scene of Jesus and the lawyer exchanging in this conversation. Verse 36, it says, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Notice that the lawyer can't even say, it was the Samaritan. The one, that one, that person over 
who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, will you go and do likewise? I want to ask us as we, in our closing minutes, where do you see yourself in the story? Are you the lawyer? Questioning? Justifying? Looking for a loophole? Still not getting it. But there's mercy there. I'll be honest, this is where I find myself most days. Maybe you're the wounded stranger. You're feeling beat up, alone, and in need of help. Maybe you're the priest or the Levite. You're distracted. You're disordered priorities, avoiding. You're in a hurry. Maybe you're the Samaritan. Moved with compassion, moving towards action. You see, the powerful thing, beloved, about hospitality is that it creates a space for us to belong as we are in order for us to become as God says we are. No matter where you are this morning, no matter where you see yourself in the story this morning, the true hero of the story, Jesus Christ, desires to meet you where you are in order to bring you deeper and further to where he's calling you to go. Ultimately, a deeper love for God and an authentic love for your stranger. No, no, no. For your neighbor. So who is Jesus inviting you to show hospitality to? Or who is Jesus positioning you to receive hospitality from? Let's pray. Father, I pray that by your grace, we would be captivated with the fresh revelation of how you have welcomed us. How you, Jesus, came from heaven to earth intentionally, embracing all discomfort, ultimately dying on a cross, but rising again from the dead, and that you invested relationally, eternally. Eternal life isn't something we just work toward, too. Eternal life is something that we can have now in you. And Lord, I pray that we would come home today. For people that are lost, people that are strange, people that are wandering, that we would come home today. Home is where there is freedom. There's son and daughtership. Home is where we belong with you, belonging to you and belonging to one another. So God, lead us today by your grace to grow in being hospitable, to living a lifestyle of hospitality, of being intentional, not shying away, but in leaning into and embracing discomfort and investing relationally. God, by your grace and for your glory, we pray. And all of this we say together, amen. Amen. You are